439 KPFA. Won't you please kick in, whether it's $25 or $250, be the next person that helps out here at Listener Sponsored Radio. You are listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, listener-sponsored grassroots community radio for Northern and Central California. I think that last donor, that last donor just put us over. I'm hoping so. Um, I'm hoping we made that match. Cynthia in Fresno, Anonymous in Santa Cruz. We'll have to get back to you on this one. I think we made it. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay tuned to KPFA. Protop Chatterjee at the 2007 KPFA Peace Awards. I started out in this business as a poet. I did have a book of poetry published almost a quarter century ago, and it was dedicated to what what I thought was one of the uh, most important definitions of peace. And it said that peace was not merely an absence of war, but a virtue born of the vigor of the spirit. And in that, I I, I hope that you'll take that away, because I think that's really what Pacifica, and, and by the way, just in case, you guys need to have this. So if you've got pens, take, take out your pens and write this down. 1-800-439-5732. You need to call that number and give money to KPFA. Support KPFA by going to www.kpfa.org. Hello, this is Danny Glover, and you listen to my station, where if you want to know, you got to be here. That's right. KPFA is what you're listening to. And welcome to a special Winter Fun Drive special. If you tuned in to Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone, she'll be back next week with another one of her illuminating shows. In the meantime, I'm Amelia Gonzalez sitting in for Jennifer and bringing you a special along the lines of what Jennifer usually does so eloquently, which is to remind us of the power of women. And for the next 30 minutes, we're going to be hearing highlights of a collection that Pacifica Archives has put together entitled Women of the Civil Rights. And we're going to start by listening to Lorraine Hansberry, who's a wonderful playwright. And this is a conversation with Langston Hughes and James Baldwin. And she speaks on the Negro in American culture. And keep in mind that these are only excerpts since we only have a half hour here. So we have Lorraine Hansberry. Stay with us. Given the Negro writer, we are necessarily aware of a special situation in the American setting. That probably works two ways. One of them, making us sometimes forget that uh, there is really very or very limited expression in literature which is not protest, be it black, white, or Mm -hmm. what have you that I can't imagine a contemporary writer any place in the world today who isn't in conflict with his world. Personally, I can't imagine a time in the world when the artist wasn't in conflict. If he was any kind of an artist, Mm -hmm. he had to be. So that it isn't really that unique. We are doubly aware of it because of the special pressures of being a Negro in America. But I think to, to destroy the abstraction for the sake of the specific is in this case an error so that once we come to that realization it doesn't get quite as confusing as uh, sometimes we tend to treat it i'll be so quick to exclude uh, the characterization whether it is or isn't prejudice i mean there's so many different ways of saying the same thing and it's 
it would be more than wishful thinking to me to exclude prejudice as regards Negroes mm. with any uh, area of the, our fabric of life. I just don't think that's realistic. It's prejudice when you can't get an apartment. It's, I dare say it's probably prejudice when a skillful writer cannot publish because of some arbitrarily decided notion of what is or is not what they tell me all the time, parochial material, mm. highly narrow, uh, of narrow interest and so forth and so on. In a culture which has any pretensions toward uh, sophistication, there should not be arbitrary designations of kinds of material. A good book should find a publisher. I know this is utter mm -hmm. idealistic assertion, but this should be the reality. And the fact that we who are writers come to accept this concept of, yes, well, they, they did a Chinese play last year on Broadway, so you know, they won't do another for the next 40 years, is, uh, I don't think, to treat the industry fairly itself. In my piece that you mentioned, I was <clears throat> dealing with a young man, I know most people think that the mother is the prime character of the play, but that has to do with the deficiency in dramaturgy, not, <laughs> and, <laughs> not and, anything and, else. And the power of the actors, eh? <laughs> well, <laughs> they were both admirable actors, mm -hmm. but... Uh, I was dealing with a young man who would have, I feel, been a compelling object of conflict as a young American of his class, of whatever racial background, that uh, with the exception of the incident at the end of the play, and mm -hmm. with the exception, of course, of character depth, because Negro character is a reality. There is no such thing as saying that a Negro could be a white person if you just change the lines or something like this. This is a very arbitrary and superficial approach to, I think, Negro character. But, and taking this long way around to say mm -hmm. what you do, what you, uh, to try and answer what you ask, there really is no profound problem. I started to write about this family as I knew them in the context of those realities which I remembered as being true for this particular given set of people. And at one point, it was just inevitable that a problem of some magnitude, which was racial, would intrude itself, because this is, as I said before, one of the realities of Negro life in America. But it was just as inevitable that for a large part of the play, mm -hmm. that they would be excluded. Because as Jimmy and I have remarked to one another many times, and I'm sure that Langston has in his own, uh, the duality of consciousness is so complete that it is perfectly true to say that Negroes do not sit around 24 hours a day thinking, I am a Negro. You know, they really don't. I don't. I don't think he does or anybody else. And on the other hand, if you say the, the reverse, that is almost true. And this is part of the complexity that I think you're talking about, isn't it? Yes, it's a part of the complexity one's got to get at and deal with. Yes. This, this is, it's, it, is, it, is, it, is, it isn't just a matter... I, I agree with Lorraine completely. You know, with most of this in great detail, but it's this, it's this which is interesting, you know, it's this which one's got to get at. Because white, white men in this country and Americans in this, American Negroes in this country are really, I discovered this in Europe, perhaps it was always very obvious, but it never occurred to me before, are really, are really the same people, you know. Mm -hmm. They are the only people in the world who understand American white men. Are, are, are Negroes. Nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's profoundly true. 
Lorraine Hansberry in conversation with James Baldwin and Langston Hughes. And this is one of the uh, wonderful treasures that we are able to offer you today. If you tuned in for uh, Jennifer Stone with Stone Throw, excuse me, she'll be back next week. In the meantime, what we're showcasing today for the next a few minutes till 3.30 till Free Speech Radio News is this wonderful collection, Women of the Civil Rights Movement. And as you heard, that was Lorraine Hansberry in conversation. We're going to go ahead and move over to mid-1980s at WBAI where we have a conversation with Gwendolyn Brooks and she starts off with one of her beautiful poems here and this is part of the collection that is uh, what we're offering today for the next 22 minutes Women of the Civil Rights Movement it's a collection of six CDs over six hours of history of Pacifica and the women that have gone through all of Pacifica through WBAI, KPFA, uh, WPFW, and KPFK. All of that is here. Yours for the asking if you call now. I'm going to go ahead and give out the numbers. The numbers are 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A or 510-848. 5732. And some of the treasures that you'll find is the commentary of a black southern bus rider by Rosa Parks. We Want to Be Free by Dorothy Dandridge. And as you heard, Lorraine Hansberry. And of course, that is over uh, half an hour of this uh, wonderful panel that you get. That's just CD1. CD2 is Trial by Sex by Florence Kennedy. And Alice Walker reading her short story, Rose Lily. And that again. Again, it's another hour. CD3, the third hour is Blues, Legacy, and Black Feminism by Angela Davis. And the fourth CD, Lena Horn in a, in a long conversation about what it was, what it was like for her to be performing in all white clubs and just a reflection of her as an artist. CD5, Collected Speeches of Fannie Lou Hamer. And, uh, CD6, Voices of Pacifica, Gwendolyn Brooks. We're going to hear just a little piece of it here. We're going to also be able to hear a little bit of June Jordan and also what is included in CD6 is Why Choose Love from Bell Hooks. A lot that we have. uh, Unfortunately some of those were way too long to cut into sound bites. It didn't feel like I would do it justice but uh, here it is and I'm hoping that this will encourage you to go to the phone and pledge your support for KPFA for Pacifica in order for us to keep on doing the work that we do in archiving this wonderful history of people and women. Stay with us. The pool players, seven at the golden shovel. We real cool, we left school, we learn light, we strike straight, we sing sin, we thin gin, we jazz June, we die soon. We. Now that's a mighty large word. I think it really should be broken up and at this time, at this point in time, uh, different uh, areas of our population should speak in specific ways to that. Now, black people, 
have special problems. And black parents, black people who are concerned about youngsters, I believe should be inspiring them with the fact that we are black and that uh, uh, our great problem just now, problem that has been with us for a long time, is that we don't truly glory in that reality. I am a great uh, believer in the forwarding of black unity. So I see that as the problem that black people have just now, especially. I believe that anger can be creative. You've proved I'm that. not uh, scared of the word hatred either because I believe that there are things in this world to be hated and thus corrected. If Way Out Morgan were here in the ultra-conservative 70s, what would he be doing? What would Way Out Morgan be doing today? I believe there are, there are many Way Out Morgans, and some of them were inspired by the right things, the positive uh, blackness that uh, I celebrated in the late 60s and still celebrate, and others really didn't mean it. They really weren't um, as stony black as they uh, wanted us, wanted the rest of us to believe. Mm -hmm. So Way Out Morgans would be doing different things in the 70s. But the bush um, does not know it flames, a famous line of yours, which I think pertains to that. I think that's a line that any poet might have written, not just a black poet. I'm glad you said that because when I spoke to Denise, our program director, I said, is there anything that you would like to ask Miss Brooks? And she said, yes, I would like to ask her how she likes being categorized as a black woman poet, advertised as the first black person to win the Pulitzer Prize. Do you like to be put into that category, or do you like to belong to all of us? <laughs> well, here I am. I am among all of us. Yeah. I feel, however, that I was um, black first, a woman second, a poet third. The words of Gwendolyn Brooks being interviewed in the mid-1970s, I said 80s earlier, I apologize for that, and of course, wonderful, renowned poet. Uh, she wrote several books. She uh, is the author of Children Coming Home, Blacks to Disembark, The New Johannesburg Boy and Other Poems, Riot in 1969, In the Mecca, The Bean Eaters, and so on and so on. In 1968, she was named Poet Laureate for the state of Illinois. And from 1985 through 86, she was consultant in poetry to the Library of Congress. This is someone that is part of this wonderful collection that we are offering you for the next 15 minutes here. Uh, this is Pacifica Radio Archives, A Living History, Women of the Civil Rights Movement. And this is yours for a $200 pledge. $200 if you do our monthly sustainer rate is less than $17 a month. A wonderful over 60, uh, well, it's six CD set, but it is over six hours of amazing history. And I am going to 
to show you more of what is there. I'm going to trust that you're going to go to the phone and pledge your support for KPFA. Support the arts this afternoon. In the next uh, few minutes, you get to support the arts and these wonderful artists that have come through Pacifica and shared their uh, creativity, their words, their insight, their experience. Yours for the asking if you call now, one 800 439 Five seven three two eight four eight five seven three two. If you'd like, you could go online at www.kpfa.org and support us there. Um, I'm going to go to June Jordan, who uh, is no stranger to KPFA here. We're going to hear something that she uh, actually wrote back in the early 90s. She's speaking at UC Berkeley in 1991. This originally aired in KPFA and what can be said and her words still ring true today. June Jordan. This is the column that I wrote on the night that was, among other things, the anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X last Thursday. On a recent cold Sunday morning in Kennebunk, Maine, George Bush and his wife, Barbara, apparently seated themselves inside a small country church of God to think about what? Alma Powell, wife of the Joint Chief Commander of the United States Armed Forces, reports that she likes to keep comforting foods like vegetable soup ready on top of the stove for Colin, her certainly hardworking husband. Alma adds that these days she just knows that her Colin doesn't want to hear little stories about the children. Just the soup, ma'am. Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney, second only to his boss in bloodthirst for arm's length armchair warfare, has never served half an hour even in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, or the Marines. I know it's not right to pick on him just for that. Last Saturday, at a local anti-war rally organized by the Middle East Children's Alliance, I noted aloud that the war to date was costing us $56 billion every 24 hours. The cost is $1 billion at least. I therefore proposed the following to the crowd scattered on the grass and under the trees. $1 billion a day for seven days for Oakland. Can you imagine that? One billion dollars a day, but to hell with the imagination. This is our city. This is our money. These are our lives. One billion dollars a day for seven days for Oakland. Or do we accept that there is only the will and the wallet when it's about kill or be killed? Do we need this money or not? Do we need it here? Do we need it now? And so on. When I left the stage, a reporter came up to me. You meant one million dollars, didn't you? No, I answered him amazed. One billion. One billion dollars a day for seven days for Oakland. That's the bill. That's our bill for housing and drug rehabilitation and books in the public schools and hospital care and all of that good stuff. One billion dollars a day. It's a modest proposal. In less than three months, those maniacs in the White House and the Pentagon have spent $56 billion in my name and with my taxes trying to obliterate Iraq and its people and their leader. I'm saying call home the troops and the bucks. 
We need these big bucks to make this a homeland, not a desert right here for the troops and for you and for me. What's the problem? It's a bargain. Seven billion dollars on the serious improvement of American life in Oakland versus 56 billion dollars for death and destruction inside Iraq. What's the problem? But the reporter was giving me a weak smile of farewell that let me understand he found my proposal preposterous. One million dollars for life, okay. Billions for kill or be killed, okay. But really big bucks on us, the people of these United States. One billion dollars a day to promote, for example, the safety and educational attainment and communal, communal happiness of 339,000 Americans. I must be kidding. As I walked away from the park, I felt a heavy depression overtaking me. The reporter, a tall white man with clear eyes, could not contemplate the transfer of his and my aggregate resources from death to life as a reasonable idea. Worse, he could not suppose his and my life to be worth anything close to the value of organized, high-tech, and boastful murder. But then other people stopped me to ask, how can we do that? Do we write letters or what? And so, as I write this column tonight, I am reassured because not every American has lost her mind or his soul. Not every one of my compatriots has become a flag-wrapped lunatic lusting after oil power. A huge number of Americans has joined with enormous numbers of Arab peoples and European communities in Germany, England, France, Italy, Spain, and Muslim communities throughout India and Pakistan to cry out, stop. And when I say huge, I mean it. If 1,000 Americans contacted by some pollster can be said to represent 250 million people, then how many multi-multi-millions do we, anti-war movement gatherings of more than 100,000, coast to coast and on every continent, how many do we represent? Kind of political math. And tonight, June Jordan, and I hate to interrupt her, uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, speech, uh, part of her essay that she wrote almost 17 years ago, June Jordan, who published 28 books of poetry, essays, and fiction. She was a regular columnist for The Progressive and a prolific writer whose articles appeared in The Village Voice, The New York Times, Ms. Essence, The American Poetry Review, The Nation, and many others. She also founded Poetry for the People here at UC Berkeley, and you heard her speaking back in 1991. This was originally aired here at KPFA part of the history, part of what we are um, sharing with you today, giving this uh, as a thank you gift if you call now and pledge your support for KPFA. The, um, I need to tell you that I only was able to play just a little of, not even five minutes of her over 11, 12-minute uh, essay. She also reads her a wonderful poetry, including Intifada, in this CD that you get as part of the six CD collection that is yours for the asking if you call now. It is an amazing collection of history. 
June Jordan is part of several of the women that we are showcasing today. With your $200 pledge, you can get this collection, six CD set. It's over six hours, and $200, again, is less than $17 a month if you do our monthly sustainer rate. But what is important is that you are supporting KPFA. You are supporting this legacy of Pacifica and these women that have come through Pacifica and have articulated their ideas, articulated their feeling around their creativity on their role in this society. And what better tribute to have this collection for yourself as well as know that you have done your part in keeping KPFA alive. You know, one thing I chose this particular essay of June Jordan's because it's so true today. It's still true today. Later on this evening, KPFA will be broadcasting from the Berkeley City Council meeting where the controversy about whether there should be restrictions on military recruitment will be debated. And you can tune in at approximately 7.30 to hear both sides in what has become a national issue and threatens to cut aid in Berkeley schools. June Jordan's talking about what about a billion a day for Oakland? What about a billion a day for our educational system? What about dreaming another way of doing business in this country and in this society? That is what KPFA is about, keeping that dream alive. And you can do your part in supporting KPFA right now by calling one 800 439 5732 8485732 we have one person on the line we need quite a few more because we only have 4 minutes in order to do something in order to raise some funds for KPFA i want to be able to let jennifer stone know that we were able to uh do take care of some business here keep uh, keep KPFA alive keep stones throw alive keep cover to cover alive here won't you help me out 1 800 4 3957328485732 and I've been handed a match for $400 Kimberly uh from Oakland as well as Philip Coleman from Oakland have pulled $400 together and have um have said hey if you could come up with another 400 we are able to give you this 400 so if you can call in now this is a perfect opportunity to give us a little extra push to be able to make our goal in in order to bring you the programming that we are bringing you you know this evening we decided to cut in into our fund drive and bring you this because because this is crucial. What is going on tonight, I just walked over to uh, Martin Luther King Park. There's a bunch of people, a lot of people um, gathering there, getting ready. There's uh, television crews. KPFA is part of that. KPFA is going to be bringing you that. We're going to interrupt our fund drive to be able to bring you the controversy of do we take a stand and what about this government taking punitive action over our uh, the the right of the city of Berkeley to take a stand against the war? You can support that now. You can support our broadcast. You can support us going to the Republican and the National Conventions and letting you know what is going on. You can support lots of what we're going to be doing. We're bringing you Winter Soldier testimony of soldiers uh, talking about what they've had to do 
and their crisis of conscience, so to speak. That is what the special broadcast that we're going to be bringing you in the upcoming months. You need to help us out by going to the phone and pledging your support. We have two minutes left. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that match. I hope that I uh, that I will make that match, that we as KPFA make that match because, you know, these voices of these women are amazing. They remind us of the issues and they remind us of the context of history, of how important it is to for the arts as, as the arts director here, as a cultural director here. I think it's important that we put the arts in a context, that it's not seen in a void, that it's actually uh, as diverse as our society and that we voice it and we not only voice the artists that are getting, you know, the recognition out there in mainstream media, but those that might not get it because of what they're saying, because of the content of their palabras. One, eight words, in case you're wondering. Sorry about that. Um, Actually, I'm not going to apologize for for my bilingualism because that's important too. And this is one place that I have always felt comfortable in in doing that. Won't you support KPFA and all its glory and all its history? One eight hundred four three nine five seven three two eight four eight. Five seven three two. We are in a match period. Kimberly and Philip from Oakland have pulled their money together. Four hundred dollars is what we need to come up with. Won't you please help us out in doubling the money that goes to KPFA in order to continue to bring you the history that we are offering you? And again, for a two hundred dollar pledge, you get the six CD set that includes Rosa Parks. Dorothy Dandridge, Lorraine Hansberry, Florence Kennedy, Alice Walker reading her short story, Rose Lily, uh, Angela Davis talking on blues, legacies, and black feminism, Lena Horne in a, a wonderful, intimate interview, and the collected speeches of Fannie Lou Hamer that reminds us of the history of what it means to be fighting for a democratic process. If we don't need reminding right now, then I don't know what what else. But this is an inspiration that we could get. Yours for the asking if you call now. Also included, you heard little excerpts of Gwendolyn Brooks. You also heard June Jordan, Poets and Politicians Against the War, and Bell Hooks, Why Choose Love. You know, that was a very, very... I couldn't cut it down because I just wouldn't do it justice. But she talks about why it's so important as activists, as people that want social change, that we do it in the context of love. And what better gift to give yourself, to give KPFA, to give your community, than to come out of love when we're talking about, you know,